0: hey everyone welcome to episode 12 of business after hours my guest this evening was andy rouse now andy is not only a incredibly nice person but he's a very 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 interesting person and hopefully that came across in the podcast because we covered a lot Andy's pivoted from one venture to another different businesses been involved with different people Uh, his black book of contacts is something to be very envious of Andy knows a lot of really really successful people and he's got some great stories uh, he's got some really good business insights uh, and, and a good background in business in different industries so that was quite interesting to hear from running a bar to be involved in um, doing a deal for something like 60 to 70 quick saves across the uk uh, to starting up a pool hall um, involved in property multiple businesses now andy's um, involved in a Amer- couple American companies, which he's the CEO, uh, and also locally uh, in the UK is helping startups and tech companies with business advice and um, venture capital funding and that sort of thing. So he he's a really interesting guy, and he's also an ex-professional pool player. So we heard about that in the podcast, but because we have a pool table at LaserEd HQ, I couldn't let him leave without challenging him to a game. I won the first round, he won the second and the third, so best of three, he's still the champion. i have to up my pool game for next time, because there will be a, a round two with Andy for the podcast. We we'll probably spent another two hours after the podcast just talking about all sorts of other things, things we forgot to include in the podcast, stories of Andy's past, so no doubt we'll do a, a second round with Andy.
1: But for now, enjoy round one, please enjoy. So hey Andy, thanks for being on the podcast. Hi Liam, thank you very much for inviting me along. My pleasure.
0: It's been a long time actually since we first kind of talked about the podcast, and I said, "Would you be a guest?" You kindly said yes. That was a couple of months ago.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a while. We've um, it's been busy times for both of us. I think since then, and
0: yeah, you, you sound like a very busy man.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I am, but I try to I try to have a great work life balance if I can.
0: Well, thanks for the time on the podcast this evening. Um, for people who don't know. Andy Rouse. Let's start right at the
1: beginning. What,
0: what were you doing? What was your first entrepreneurial uh, venture? What did you start out in in business?
1: Well, um, obviously, I'm not I'm not no spring chicken. Now, I'm a local boy um, and traveled in various places around the globe. But my my entrepreneurial journey started when I was at school. So me and my best friend had a paper round, as you do when you're kids. And we thought, how we, how can we improve on this? So um, we, we got his father to build us a trailer for the bicycle. And so instead of us having one paper round each, we had six paper rounds that we'd do each morning because we had this trailer to put all the papers in. So we'd fly around on two bicycles and with a, with a trailer delivering all these papers. And that was my first journey into being an entrepreneur. <laughs> That's a great idea. Who, who had
0: to uh, who was on the bike with the trailer it was me oh okay i so was you, the peddler so you've got strong legs now yeah
1: yeah i want, i want the brains of the bunch i was the the heavy lifting as yeah. such <laughs> so, did, so. You, did you make um a lot more money by doing that or did they yeah we we doubled we doubled our money each day okay so you know at least so we'd do six rounds instead of instead of we'd do three rounds a piece instead of one so we'd treble our money really What did that? What did? What
0: did you do with the money?
1: Oh, I can't remember. We used to buy tomato plants, pottery, and try and resell them, and do all sorts of different things. Yeah. So it was. It was from an early age. See, that wasn't what I was expecting you to say. Um,
0: I was fully expecting you to say, "Oh, we just spent it on sweets or magazines or." No, no, no. We'd reinvest.
1: We'd reinvest and Ah. do other things. So very entrepreneurial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, As a boy. Yeah. Okay. And then. from there, my, my, my family as such um, was always involved in transport and forwarding. My father used to run a business here, or be general manager for a company called Humberbatch which was on the scale of Eddie Stobart's, is now. And he could foresee them moving more and more into cold storage, rather than transport. So he decided to p- pivot and up sticks, and he moved to Saudi Arabia. And he was there for maybe half a year maybe eight months and then he got offered another job which was in sudan in northeast africa and he moved there and he ended up being there 30 years and i went out there as a young man an 18 year old ended up being operations manager we then um we was working for chevron oil at the time building roads doing all the transport We did everything for all the embassies, brought all their freight in, etc. Then we had the famine, which was Live Aid. Bob Geldof rocked up at my father's house, said, how can you help us? I want to buy some trucks from Chad, uh, which my dad had looked at previously. He went out there to check on these, come back and said, whatever you do, don't buy these trucks. These are going to fail a a fleet of, uh, there was British trucks, there was scammel back then. And we told him that he'd never be able to buy tires because the real rims and everything was the wrong size. And the Sudanese government used to have a tire factory, which is a joint venture with the Koreans. And they wouldn't let you import tires, not even for Live Aid. And we told him this and he didn't listen to us. Three months later, every single truck stood on bricks. And we ended up transporting all the grain for Live Aid. And we'd have maybe 300 trucks a day. Um, delivering this aid up to 800 tons
0: 300
1: trucks yeah yeah and at one point I've had to hold my dad back from Mr Geldof in days gone by because (laughs) why was that well Sudan was the poorest country in the world at the time it's the largest country in Africa and you you know you love you love where you live and we actually like the country and it it is a great country Sudan Um, you know I could tell you many stories about it but we was based in Port Sudan, bringing the grain in as such to go to Chad and to South Sudan, where into Darfur, where all the, the famine was. And Bob Geldof rocked up in a private plane, paid for by Live Aid, so it didn't Ooh. go down well with my father. And you know, yeah, his, I, being a being a proper Grimsby boy, you, I should yeah, speak loudly words with him. So yeah,
0: yeah I, I can see that being a bit of a, a niggle for some people. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 but. Don't get me wrong. He, he, you know, he made an awareness of it, and it was a, it was a great cramp campaign, and it saved many many lives. But so what? What was after live aid? I mean, from a logistics standpoint, that must be a pretty big um,
0: operation. Oh yeah, it
1: was huge. It yeah. was huge, and a lot of it was where the the tail wagged the dog. So there was a lot of mismanagement there. There was too many aid agencies. There was people going there just for the sake of trying to help, and and causing more problems than What it was solving really. So did you
0: you end up going to Live Aid? You actually saw the concert?
1: No, no. You didn't get free tickets or anything like that? No, nothing like that. (laughs) It's not very good. No, I see see it on TV like everybody else.
0: Well, I'm a bit too young to remember that. Um, But I've seen footage. Uh, How many Live Aids have they done now?
1: I'm not sure, to be honest. But at the time, they did one a joint venture as such with America. And it was one big concert here at Wembley and then America as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I know they do some good. That's great. But just back to your life, you said that you were growing up or you went over when you were 18. Yeah. Was that your decision to go over?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'd I'd been out there as a a boy on school breaks in the summer holidays and stuff and quite liked it there. And because I was so close to my father, I wanted to be near my dad. So, and I love what he did. And I love trucks. You know when he when he was here at Humber Vays, I was refuelling forty foot trucks when I was nine years old with a trailer on and backing trailers in and stuff. You so, were backing trailers. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah. When I was a boy.
0: Can you still drive a truck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you uh, when you went across and you um, you kind of were working with your father, did he start you at the bottom
1: or did he? Oh yeah, he didn't yeah. give you special treatment. No. Um, He'd give me the pep talk as such where... How did um, that go? Um, it was a wake-up call. So he said to me straight away, he says, you're not here on, you, you You know, you're the boss's son, so you've got to be the first through the door and the last to leave, you know, and people are going to look at view you different because you're the father, you know, the, you're the boss's son as such, so you've got to work twice as hard as everybody else. And he made sure of that. You know, he had a great work ethic. Yeah. Is that, have you taken that forward? I have now, but I didn't back then. No. You know, it was just, I was a young boy. And um, I don't don't think entrepreneurial, I never really grew up till my late thirties. You know, everything seemed to come so easy and I did so many different things. But you just have no structure in your life and your mindset's different. So.
0: So what was after uh, Live Aid? What else did you help him with?
1: So uh, we, we... I mean, we tr- we transported everything around Like We was agents for RMS, the Italian shipping line in north of Africa. We was also based in Kenya, Ethiopia, Eritrea, uh, all along northeast Africa. And I've actually got an African sister. Oh, right. So, um, yeah, yeah. So We brought her home when she was like five because she had an injection in a leg for... Um, for cholera or something like that it was and she's virtually stayed here ever since really so yeah she's great i've been with her today for lunch actually oh, that's cool in Cleethorpes, yeah she took me for lunch so, so. where is she from in africa uh ethiopia eritrea she's eritrean half eritrean
0: well my um a lot of my uh, mother's side of the family actually were born in africa in uh, east africa in kenya and nairobi so, uh, yeah,
1: that's where, we, that's where we was based. Yeah, I've
0: always wanted to go over. I mean, it probably wouldn't be anything like it was then when they were growing up. But yeah, my uh, my grandfather moved over. Um, my grandmother and I think two or three kids at that point. And then she, she then had uh, another foot... So they had six kids in total. And they all grew up and they've got these crazy stories from growing up in Africa of, you know, almost dying from cobras and tarantulas and scorpions and shooting each other with bows and arrows. So... Yeah, I've, Africa's on my list to go to and visit. But I've not been
1: yet. It's a great place, and some lovely people there. I would say we was based in Sudan when when the first Iraq war happened, and it was the only pro Iraq pro Iraq country in the on the planet. So it was heavily involved in terrorism. Bin Laden was based there. He built the hospitals, some of the roads. He had his training camps there. Um, we had a party at our house, and because we had diplomatic community, we had a bar in the house. We once had a guy turn up for a party, and it was at. Um, it until later we found out it was the Jackal, who was the most wanted terrorist in the world at the oh, time. Oh, wasn't
0: he the sniper?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, he he looked Egyptian and he was quite small, but actually the, he was Colombian, I believe, or whatever. And French special forces said that they came in and grabbed him. It was nothing like that. He was in hospital. He was sedated, and they just put him in a pickup truck, drove him to the airport, and they picked him up. And he was at a party with you? Yeah, yeah, he was at our house, our house. Did you get any pictures with him? No. Uh, No. Too early for selfies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because there was a heavy um, expat community there, or it was a small expat community, it was quite closely knit. So if anybody ever came out and ventured there, you know we've had the Liverpool football team with Bruce Grobler and everybody at the house and all that type of thing. Remember, wow! Yeah. So as a, as a boy growing up with all these different things, it was great, you know, and it, and it helps you build a network, if anything. So yeah, I bet. and confidence. Wow! Just trying to imagine
0: having a, a party and Liverpool football team rocks up.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. Maybe five years ago now, Bruce Grobbler did a um, a sportsman's speech or talk at the coach house in Grimsby. And my dad went there. And all my friends know my dad and the story about him being in Africa and everything. And Bruce Grobbler recognized him. Wow. And said, you know, my dad's called Ralph. He went, Nolan, Ralph, Ralph, how are you? I've still got your carpet. <laughs> you Explain that carpet. Well, we had a tapestry on the wall and there was a kid who played for for um liverpool at the time called greg johnson and he got a bit wasted and it was a sharia country so they wrapped him up in this tapestry and put him in a cab and bruce grobler went and he ended up keeping the tapestry
0: <laughs> what a good story yeah okay okay parties aside back to back to your entrepreneurial life so where was the kind of first time you had your own
1: entrepreneurial journey where did you start well as a, as a boy um I didn't, I didn't attend school too much for me I wanted to earn money and I wanted to just enjoy my life and I couldn't see the value in school really um and I messed about a bit too much when I was there and school was easy for me and what what I was blessed with as, as, as a young man was a really good memory so I could be in so many lessons and just remember the stuff so when it come down to tests I always did well in tests but didn't have to do the academic stuff. So, you know, and, and that memory stayed with me today, you know. Uh, then because I didn't attend school too much, I used to knock about with a few lads who played snooker. So I'd sneak off and go play snooker for money with the likes of Dean Reynolds, Mike Hallett and all the snooker players. Then when I was out in Africa my mum became ill and there was I was the youngest. So my brother couldn't really come back, so as the youngest member of the family I came back to keep an eye on my mum and we was renovating a house at the time and all that type of thing so and I, and I fell back into playing snooker and pool and then I became um I got really good at it and I became Humberside's first ever professional pool player and they, they had a ranking system there's been other players who's turned professional since then but I was the first one to get ranked by merit on what they call the International Professional Pool Players Association, and others have tried, and not getting the top sixty-four, and I was, I got provisionally into the top sixteen at one point and stuff. And so, what does um, it take to be a professional pool player? Eight hours a day of practice it was for me. <laughs> okay, relentless. So, yeah. do you play now? I've just started to play a little bit again for the county, um for Humberside County in the. Um, locally to here, there's a couple of pool clubs, there's Q World and stuff like that. But, well, we've
0: got, you know, we've, we've got a pool table here, so yeah. after we finish this, I'm challenging you. Yeah, for sure. Um, but what does it actually take? What What's the classification of a pool, a professional pool player? Do you have to enter competitions, win tournaments, that sort of thing? Yeah, you have to make money from it, effectively.
1: Okay. So, um, and I'd won quite a lot of tournaments and people used to play money matches back then and that type of thing. But what I did a lot of was play exhibitions, So, and I ended up having a manager to play the exhibitions, a guy called Colin Deaton. And he was Colin Deaton's World of Sport based at at Chesterfield. And there was me and a kid called uh, Daz Ward, who was the world champion at the time. And there was only me and him on his books. And he had the Beverly Sisters or the Q9 contract on the QE2. Gary Lineker was on his books. Uh, and we'd do all the holiday camps, the Pontins and the Butlins. So I'd turn up to play pool as an exhibition. There'd be Mike Hallett or Stephen Hendry or Nigel Bond there from Q Masters, and that stable, there'd be Dennis Priestley doing the darts, and there'd be me doing the pool. So, and then it progressed from that. I got involved with a couple of lads, and we ended up doing Q World in Wallagate.
0: So you set up Q World? Yeah, yeah, three of us. So... Q World for anyone that doesn't know. Um, this is the one, yeah, down wellgate so That was the old quick save. Yeah. And yeah. that, because I grew up there, kind of. Um, so we used to go, uh, it was when we were at college. We used to sometimes sky from from college, go and play some snooker or some pool. Um, it, I mean, it was great for kids. That was how long ago?
1: It must have been. 1996. Yeah, God, that was a long time. Over twenty years. They've moved since. Yeah, they're now above the old. They're now in the old tax office. So, you you involved with them still? No, no. Okay. No, I came out. So um, I had it just over a year there, and um, and and it was a it was there was three of us in it, and um, I see an opportunity to to move on, Um, and it's just and one of my friends said to me, said I've I found somewhere that'd be an ideal pub, as such to you know, to to increase revenue as such. and I thought to myself, you know, that, that's empty. Um, it could be such a good thing. And I, I actually said to the guys in World, well, do you want to move with me? Do you want to get involved? And they said no. So um, just one afternoon, I went out and met the pub company out in Halifax, had a meeting. Um, they wanted money to, for me to move in there. And it was the old Yabra Vaults, which is now the bank in in town in, in at the train station and um excuse me and what happened it was empty over christmas and i thought how can the tower center pub be open over christmas and i'd been with me touring playing pool and stuff and going all over i thought to myself this would make a really good uh theme bar so i i uh, I drove up to Halifax, met with them, and they said to me, "We want this much going in." I actually walked away with them giving me two and a half thousand pounds, a six month rent free period. So, um, how did you manage that? Just by negotiation, really. And they paid I paid you to move in with a six month rent free. Yeah. Wow, yeah. you must be a good negotiator. Yeah, <laughs> I think a, so. It's a decent and, and, deal. And at, at the time, it was on it's pubs. Pubs are. Um, the turnovers deemed by barrelage so you have a what we're calling 11 with 72 pints in but um a barrel is most probably a 36 barrel as such and it was only doing one and a half two barrels a week the the turnover was just maybe a couple of grand tops i would think uh so i said look i'm gonna treble your turnover if you if you put me in that pub and they said okay they like my ideas and i said You know, it's, it's going to be totally different when you come. Um, And at at the time we, I kind of ended up being the reason for my own demise, really, um, because we was too successful in that pub. Yeah, it was, it was too, too busy because we only had a short term contract there. I drove back, I ran my friend up and said, I've gone and got this pub. Do you want to get involved in it with me? And he had a chip shop at the time. And. He said, yeah, yeah. He said, I'll have a go at it. I said, well, it's going to need this, 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 and this. We, only, we didn't have a lot of money. I got the builder to come in, um, which is a local builder, um, who's brilliant. A kid called Jeff, Jeff Markerson. And he come in and did the fit out with us. We begged still and borrowed. I called it Idols, I went and got the art department from the local college to come in and do loads of pictures of different Idols. I even had our own guest beer in there which was called Idols beer with a picture of Marilyn Monroe on it. And then I had a big mirror on the back of the bar and it had a picture of a uh, a desert island with two scantily, scantily clad girls on there in bikinis. And it said, fulfill Andy and Chris's dreams, spend your money in idols. And everybody did. (laughs) And we sold at £1.50 a drink. But I used to buy in really, really cheap. And so we had a a great turnover there. And uh, about a month later, the brewery came down and they couldn't get in. It was absolutely rammed. And the guy came up to me and we ended up having a meal next door near Thello. And he said to me, Andy says, you've gone and changed the name of the bar. You've gone and done this. You've gone and done that. There was none of this in discussion. I said, well, do you prefer it now or do you prefer it empty? He went, I prefer it now. I went, it's not a problem then, is it? You know. And then, so we looked at expanding, but we expanded too quick. And we wasn't a limited company. We didn't take really didn't really take good advice. Uh, we bought a nightclub next door on a private mortgage, which, um, which was a good thing at the time. But we didn't take, take good advice on it really, and so and it, it we're just two young boys who's you know it's my mindset was totally different then. And How people, old were you? I was thirty, and all my mates was in that pub, and it was and if you speak to anybody who went in there, they said they had the like the best times of their lives when it, when it was in there, and it was great times, and it, you know it's some of the best times of my life. But when I look back, it could have been so much better, and it could have been more sustainable for the people involved. And the people we employed. So you said it, you were um, your your own demise. Yeah, we went too busy. So we would have a we would have a forty foot truck deliver all our booze, and Weatherspoons, the brand new pub, feature pub next door, um, which is the Arbor Hotel, would get would use half the amount, and because we was turning over so much, the brewery wanted the pub back. Oh, so they and, just
0: took it back off you?
1: Yeah, well, they paid us out. Yeah. Uh, we had we had, we had had a few problems in there and, and with it being the town centre. In that time as well, everybody used to go out and there was a lot of trouble and also, all sorts of different things. Um, And it was a lot busier than it is now with people going out drinking. There's a different culture now, I think. You know, people tend to drink more at home or they'll go out for a meal and that type of thing. And it's more the wine bar culture where then it was just a... It was it was crazy times um we we ended up being too busy and they said to us we wanted and we only had a short-term lease so they got us back out of the lease so and then they spent a million pounds renovating the property and relaunching it and it was never ever successful since so it just goes to show if you mm. mess with the secret sauce
0: yeah yeah, there's a few places that have done that where they spent a fortune, something's been really good, they spent a fortune on it, changed it, and then it's, I don't know, somehow not as good, even though they've put a lot into
1: it. Yeah, I think, well, licensed premises, it's the atmosphere of a place. Mm. It really is. And it's the same way you go to eat and stuff. It's it's the atmosphere and it's how you feel in there, it's customer service and everything. But ultimately, it's the atmosphere of a, of, a, of a bar, I think. So did that put you off bars and clubs? Yeah, it, it did a bit because it's such hard work as well. You know, you're seven in the morning to meet dry men to do beer orders and then you work until one in the morning and it's the next morning and you've got transient staff. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it's a tough industry. People don't realise, I mean, I've seen Doc's Bears what they're doing, but the actual work involved in that is astronomical. You know, it's it's a lot of stress and it's, you know, it's it's, it's not an easy environment to work in that and it's it's actually easier to run a busier premises than a not so busy premises because if you're busy you can employ staff if if it's dead you've got to work in that yourself haven't you okay um so
0: so with your so you said two things you said you're in early and working late was it like that the whole time you had it or when you when it got busy and you employed staff did you step away a little
1: bit no, because you, you you still got to oversee it and stuff like that, and um, we didn't. I didn't control it very well. Who you know? who was the ultimate manager? Were you? Yeah, it was down to us. It was down to me, really. You know, and at the time, I got problems. when mum had died, and all different things like that, and um, yeah, and it's. It, I don't know. It's just the timing. wasn't there, my mindset wasn't right for it. So, and, and, and if my mindset was like it not, was now, I'd most probably not be where I am now and I'd have a chain of pubs or something, which most probably would have gone under anyway at some point. What did you, after the pub, what did you do next? Well, it was, it was tough times for me because um, we'd spread ourselves too thin and we was, a, we was a partnership as such and not limited. So, um, and we'd not took great advice and I would say that for any anybody in an entrepreneurial journey, it's one of the biggest things you can do is have good people around you. And um, I went back into the transport industry for a while. Then um, I slipped into property. So I went, one of my friends, we was building a few houses, had a bit of a construction company. And then uh, I ended up, my first property job really was at Lavelle's in Grimsby. So, uh, my job was actually going out and arranging, um, sites for hoardings, you know, for advertising hoardings, We'd set up a company to just do that solely in the Grinsby area because we thought there was going to be an opportunity for it. And then, um, I helped Jonathan with a couple of other things and I was, I'd, I was in, I had an involvement with a company from Cheshire, which was a development company and they'd looked at various things through me and they came to grimsby and we looked at doing the cartergate project so there was it ended up to two final runners which was us and strawsons the farmers we was totally locally it was only the money what was coming from away but everything was sourced locally we'd um, done all our own work it was a deliverable scheme and we was going to redevelop cartergate in grimsby this would have been 2007 or a, yeah just before the crash uh and at the same time we just looked at redoing a deal for a portfolio of supermarkets in the uk so it was due, doing both and luckily we lost the bid for cartergate because i don't think that would have been successful for us at the time with well, a crash and we um, we then went and did this portfolio of of super of a supermarket chain we did one or two first and it was a, it was a supermarket chain called Save. yep we did one or two and it turned around really quick and what we did we redeveloped or we reject the planning sold it to Sainsbury's or whoever and it just turned around pretty quick And so we ended up doing a portfolio of 77 of these with a joint venture with Lehman Brothers. And Lehman Brothers put 88 million pound in. I mean, the meeting for them to put the 88 million pound in took 25 minutes in Canary Wharf. (laughs) And I don't know if you've ever seen a movie called Trading Places with Eddie Murphy. Yeah. It was like being on the set of that with them two brothers in that boardroom with a guy bringing the tea in, the butler with the white gloves and everything. So you actually met with the Lehman Brothers? Well, it wasn't actually Lehman Brothers. It was a guy called um, Jamie Stott. Oh, okay. Who was, it was, it was running the the UK side of it at the time. Who then went on to Elliot's hedge fund as such. Uh, anyway, we, we met with them and they said, "Yeah, yeah, we like your track record, we'd like everything, and do it and walked out there." And Graeme, around the company, you know, turned around and said, "I can't believe that they've they've gone and loaned this money out this quick." even though what we had was solid. Uh, we couldn't believe they did the transaction so quick and we're not sure if it's sustainable. Well, a year later or eight months later or something, it wasn't. Oh, oh you no. know, it's, it, it went. And, but what that did, that that was good and bad for us because they didn't stand to take any of the profit off the sites, but we had to pay the administrators first. And no more a bank purchased, purchased their debt as such and took that on. So no more, to, no more a bank had to be paid first. So, and we, we, we looked at doing other things. We went and did a log cabin site. So we went and did a log cabin site at Baird and Waters. Oh yeah, I know that one. Yeah. Um, so you, what were you involved in on that one? Was that the... I, I found the site, structured the business. I've got Hodson's and to do all the planning, everything else. we got a famous footballer from Manchester United to put the money up at the time. Because we didn't have a lot of cash flow, uh, and it's been a success as far as I know. But I pulled out of that, and I pulled out the quick saves with these guys, and um, we got down to so many stores, and there wasn't a great deal to do. So we all said that we could do our own things, and originally we was all going to do this this log cabin site, these log cabin sites, and I couldn't I couldn't foresee how we could all work together with that. And, and to be honest with you, it's, it was an industry that I didn't want to push too much. And I've, I just fancied having a, having a change, really. So I, 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 at the time, I got in my car, drove to London, got involved with one of my friends. And we had a bit of a construction business at first. Then uh, I fell into property finance. So I've got a friend who's one of the, one of the largest in the UK providing property finance. And I ended up being his business development in, in London as such at the time. So what did that involve you? It was meeting everybody I knew in property as such. Yeah. Um, so it would be, and, and, and it was tough times at the time where people were lending. So, you know, and I've still, even to this day, I've still got a great relationship with, the, with uh, my friend who's the head of Legal and General's Investment Fund. He's got 8 billion on retention at any time to loan out and stuff. A little Jewish chap called Ashley and really nice guy and luckily enough he loves Snooker and he, and he lives in North London where I was at the time and things and we have we, we're more friends than business associates really. We'll just meet for a lunch every six weeks or something. but it, it was that type of thing that you know we would progress with other developers. I'd you know I'd look at, at core places where we could where we could expand the business and give it growth. And I most probably brought in 30% of the business for them. What do you reckon fund. that was worth? I couldn't say at the time. I couldn't really say. It was quite a lot of money. It was quite a lot of turnover, really. Lots was, of zeros. Yeah. Yeah. And then through that, we got asked more and more for private equity. So we was providing development finance and people was wanting mezzanine finance, the top up. So, so what's like, the difference? Well, d- generically, if you... if if you're going to do a, a property development, you would go to a bank, and if it was say someone like, uh, Handels bank or whoever they'd put fifty percent in, to either invest in a property or to develop a property or whatever. And and if you went for, for a development funds, so they would normally put up to about sixty percent in. Some would go to eighty, but nine times out of ten, even if you got eighty percent funding, you would only have ten percent yourself. So you needed that ten percent top up to make it work. So I got involved in that sector, which was quite lucrative, and then um, I ended up with a group of high net worth individuals who would who would just ring me up off cuff and say, "Do you want lunch? Is there any deals that we can get involved in?" And you know, these people was all from Formula One and all over the place. Being based in Berkeley Square in the centre of Mayfair, it was it so they come loser.
0: to you, yeah, yeah, to ask you for a deal.
1: Yeah, yeah, or you know, wow. ask advice on deals and stuff. That's a good position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then we went out to the Formula One in 2014. I got an invite by the the government there as such because we'd done, we'd talked about doing a stuff like quite a bit of stuff with hotels and things. Um, I'd, a, I'd had a meeting with one of my close friends. Um, Roger Burnett, actually, who's got another marketing agency, about bringing MotoGP to Abu Dhabi to Yas Marina, um, but because of safety issues, I don't think it it could work because there's no runoff area. Anyway, we went out uh, as an invite to to the Formula One, and while we was there, I got a friend who who owns the world's fastest powerboat, and we I'd done him a couple of introductions to people, and he come back to me and he went. Andy, um, we've gone and we've gone and sold some of these boats. And who too? He went, the King of Jordan. And he wants to put a cannon on the top of the boat to protect the shoreline from pirates, which was a great thing. You know, it was a great thing for them. But they never had the funding to build the boats. So we sorted it that weekend, and it paid for our trip to to so Abu Dhabi in. I think i just heard you say the king of jordan wanted to strap a cannon to a speedboat hmm. that simple and it was it was vector martini racing sounds like a crazy rick and morty episode. yeah yeah it was it was it was surreal it was and I've, I've known the guy who owns well it's jaguar racing now um so gaz who's been on previous podcasts yeah bainbridge um he's most probably come across them guys at some point uh and it, it's, they, they'd they won all the, they'd done all the world records and everything. There's actually got a spare seat in there. So anybody from a corporate environment could actually buy a world record. Oh,
0: they could buy the seat just to be on like. So that they could
1: say that they've done a world record. Yeah. And well, they hold on, have, hold on. Buy the seat and actually be on the. Be on the boat. Yeah, be on the boat. Okay. Yeah. And it was quite lucrative for them. And because and, and wow. it was Vector Martine, that was involved with Williams Racing, so they got all Williams Racing involved. They got David Gandhi as an ambassador, the, the the male model, and all that type of thing. So, but the, they actually did a, a commercial boat, which was like a tender for a super yacht. So, if you know, if you if you was a Roman Abramovich, you could escape in this boat, and nothing could be able to catch you. So, and I introduced him to some people who then introduced him to somebody else who then said, you know, we want to buy some of these boats. How many um, uh, super armed
0: speedboats did this King buy?
1: I'm not sure, to be honest, but we we just did the, the initial batch as such, which was quite, it, I wouldn't say it was mega money, but it paid for our trip to, to Abu Dhabi as such. You know, we went, Business and come back first class and you know the top hotels, everything you know. Well, that's a story and a half yeah, and so and and people come to me for more and more different things and it was quite varied and at the time, I was involved with a lot of technology people in a, in a, around the area and uh, people come to me more and more with different technologies, so I was getting due diligence done on them and actually, it's 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 like any other industry, it it really is. It's it's uh, you know if if you if if you've got a plumbing company, you're not necessarily going to be a plumber yourself. You know you don't have to be a plumber yourself. You 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 know you most probably know cut you know a few bits, but I dare say Charlie Muggins, whatever his name is, who owns Pimlico Plumbers, it's been a long while since he's ever fitted a boiler. Yeah, I can't see him yeah. with his hair. Yeah. Going out and yeah. getting many, yeah. many uh, and I, I, services and done. I, and I couldn't see Peter Jones doing any coding. You know, so. No,
0: no, Peter Jones really does strike me as the type of person not to get his hands dirty. Yeah. Like he, I, yeah. I I, I don't really know his background, but. Whereas Bannon time was quite, you know, he was doing the ice cream van and then getting involved. Yeah,
1: I mean, Peter comes from, uh, I've still got a house, um, or she's in a house or whatever, where where I originally was in Maidenhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a little village called Cookham. That's where I used to be based, uh, and that's where he's from, Peter Jones. So you know, it's and because I was because I was there in Berkshire and I was in Mayfair, you're right in the centre of it, really, for for building a network, and that's that's what I effectively did. I went out and built a network, and then um, we ended up coming across uh, a technology that which was quite. It was it was a one-off uh, and it was a streaming technology and you could download a, a you know a 4k movie to your phone of a three over a 3G network in three minutes which was quite unique and we actually see it happen but it ended up being not quite what we thought it was in the very beginning and it would have needed many years to finish off and maybe 20 odd million dollars or something to to push that on so we ended up um, we ended up where we are today now with my technology company and doing smart cities and things
0: So you, you've tried to explain this to me in the past, the smart cities and I'm, I always try and, it's difficult without seeing it but for people who are listening can you explain what a smart city is
1: with this technology Well, generic you know smart cities most probably come under five different things so it would be uh, air monitoring for, so the quality of air it would be traffic lights for traffic monitoring bins, I notice North East Linkage Council now have gone and got four bins or something to which they've got in Strasbourg I think, they're normally a Cisco bin that squashes itself down with the rubbish Uh, then it's parking and uh, it'll be one other like Wi-Fi or whatever it's, it's just generic things ours is a lot different from that so ours is based around the high street and smes and then we what we do is we geofence as an area as such like a city so it would be a geographical area and we in that area we would put a lot of technology which is iot internet of things so that it can talk to a device and it would talk to all the residents, the city, you know, all the citizens of that city, but tourism as well. And it works on that, and so it brings growth to an area rather than just rather than just saving a cost to a local authority. This actually grows a local authority and it grows the community as such, or the the business community, or the commerce. So, how does it work with SMEs then? Does it give them so, data? Yeah, it does. And if you've got a nail bar as such or a beauty parlor, you sign onto the platform for a set fee. It gives you, it gives you a website. It gives you telephony because we've got a telephony, uh, pr- proposition in there, which brings you a VoIP phone and controls all your mobiles and everything. Then it brings, uh, beacons in there, um, eye beacons, which is. I think maybe two years ago now, 43% of retailers in the US had iBeacons. It's massive. Google, all the big companies, all the big tech companies have immersed massively in this. So I don't think many people here would know what an iBeacon is. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's ultra high frequency, low power Bluetooth. And what it does, it communicates with your phone, but it can activate your phone. You can be walking past Starbucks and it'll say... Hey, Liam, do you want to come in for your flat white? You don't need the internet for this or anything like that. And in fact, if you've got the right permissions on the phone, it can actually turn your phone on. If your phone's off, yeah, this can turn it on. It can actually turn it on if you've got the right app. Okay. Such. So, and it, and it's it's a bit like a ticketing. It, so it's, it's almost like um,
0: like a digital advert. You can dr- yeah. try and draw yeah. people yeah. in it's by It's push sending. notification. Yeah.
1: So, and, it, and it's, 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 it's got AI in it, so it's driven to you. So it's specific to you really, so on the platform. But it's not like Big Brother or anything like that. You know, it's it's more a case of where if you're on Facebook, you would check in somebody somewhere. Well, this, you don't need to check in, but it would know that you go to Steel's Fish and Chip Shop every Friday at six o'clock. And if you try, if you was in Stockholm next Friday, Five o'clock, it would say, "Would you like fish and chips?" At six o'clock, we found you a fish and chip shop. The equivalent steals, <laughs> so it actually makes your life easier. It's a good thing for you. So the and day- you can turn it off as much as you want, or you can put as much information on it as you want. So do you need the app on your on your device? No, it, it, it used to be that you needed an app or a relevant app, but it's changing now all the time. And now, to, now it's to, to the point where virtually all the apps will have will have relevant to it. So. If you was coming into Wumberside Airport and you had the KLM app and you used that for your boarding card, this would actually progress that that consumer journey from being on that from being a, just using it as a boarding card. It would say, Do you want to book an hotel in Grimsby? Do you need a cab? Do you need all these different things? It's a referral thing, just to make your life easier as such. So you don't have to go searching and go through trip advisor and you know So the company you're involved with at the minute? goes and helps settle that up for companies and well it's for areas. cities really for cities. It's, it's a local authority as such so we'd we'd link in with a local authority and a university and not just that it gives the local authority chance to talk to all them devices so if you've got the I don't know Armed forces day on cliffop Seafront and you've got you know 30,000 people there it can it can work out that actually near pier gardens there's a, there's a build up of people so it could send more uh, saint john's ambulance or that type of thing if somebody's daughter or son went missing it could have an ambulance alert like it does in the states where it sends out a text message this could send out a picture so it's a picture of you know a little boy a little girl gone missing for everybody to look for it so and not only that we give them a virtual wikipedia so as, as you come there say uh, a monument in cleethorpes it could activate and it could say, you know, in 1942, this guy was at D-Day landings, or it could be your granddad. It could, it could be any history, really, about Grimsby or Cleethorpes or any area. You know, if it was Lincoln, it would say, welcome to Lincoln Cathedral and maybe a, 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 an AI thing where, uh, or oh, what's his name? Tom Hanks could say, welcome to Lincoln Cathedral. We filmed da Vinci the, the Da Vinci Code here. And, yeah. and actually if someone's daughter went and did history at Lincoln Uni and she, I don't know the dates precisely, but she'd say she did 1110 to 1190 and it was based on the Knights Templar air course where it could be put onto that digitally. So it's kept forever. So there could be that information there for everybody to put that on. So, it's, you know, it's a good thing that, you know, you can, you can learn from it. And then in that, if some say, if it was your daughter and she'd, Past air exams at Lincoln Uni, you can take a picture or a video of her passing out, and that stays on there for forever. And then if she came back to get married, or a Delta came back there, it could be superimposed over the top of it.
0: Well, it sounds like a great piece of technology. Have you got it anywhere in the UK?
1: In the Not UK? as yet. We're just we're just in negotiation to launch out in the UK, but we're in Strasbourg, we're in Belgrade, we're in all of Serbia really. We're in Toronto at the minute, just moving forward in Atlanta because we use it for events as well.
0: Yeah, so. I can imagine at events. I mean, that, that yeah. example you gave about the lost child was, I mean, you don't have to sell the benefits of it after then. That's kind of an event or anything like that. Isn't yeah. It's an yeah, and, piece and of technology have.
1: We, we have our own RFID card as well. So we've gone from internet of things to just off things. Yeah. So we don't actually need the internet. So we can give a card out or a fob out uh, at an event. We're doing an event in Atlanta for 25,000 people, and it's a hip-hop event for a weekend. It's a festival. And on average, we've worked out that people would most probably spend $2,000. They can load this card up, and it's linked to the phone, but they don't actually need the phone for it. So they don't need the internet or anything like that, and they can just do contactless. Oh, so they use the card like a... Like yeah. a prepaid card, yeah. Like a prepaid card. Okay. And they they can buy drinks at an event and stuff and get push notifications, because previously, at that event, I think it was sponsored by a a, a real famous vodka company, and it had this vodka as you walked in, in the, through the through the hallway in towards the event, but nobody ever used it because they just went straight into where the music was and used the bars in there, so this way, they can interact and they can say you know if somebody's if they've got a demographic of, I don't know, girls, aged twenty one to twenty six, and it's a raspberry vodka, and they want to launch it, it can just go out to them, or it can go out to you know a, a set demographic as such. The other thing is what it can do. Any, it's mainly SMEs really, but if it was say, I don't know, Kathy Valerie's down the seafront, and it's Armed Forces Day, and she normally does burgers on her front of a of a restaurant as such and she's bought a thousand baggers it could get to two o'clock or only sold 200 baggers she can put out on that platform and bounce off everyone's phone that they can have 50% off to come for a bagger. So, and we just take a small tiny percentage of each transaction as such and there's a referral thing on there as well so if you're a taxi driver or if you're in another restaurant you can recommend another restaurant you can recommend a hotel and you get a community credit back for that so when is this coming to Cleetops? I don't know. It'll most probably be in a major city in the UK first and then but it will eventually be here, I hope. So Yeah, it sounds great. I yeah, and it's 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 it would be really, really good for the high street, yeah. I believe. And yeah, I think and it,
0: I was just gonna say I think for a for the high street we're struggling at the minute, um, kind of that interaction between the digital and the physical might might be the thing just to Give them a little bit of a helping hand because I think they High Street needs it needs any help they can get at the minute.
1: Yeah, well, any business has got to solve a problem, and this this solves a problem really. The government's just released a new tourism directive, and it it's like somebody wrote the tourism directive for our platform. Really, so it answers every single question on it, and you know every single problem that they've got to to move forward. It's it's answered on that platform. So how That's did you for us. how did you get involved in this platform? Uh, by accident, really. So we 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 had different we had different businesses that uh, I was involved in, and the technology side, like I said, we was involved. I was involved in the streaming side, and the guy who came to me originally with it, he had a content management system that he'd been building for maybe four or five years, which was huge, and. Um, we didn't. I didn't think that the time was ready yet for this, for this streaming technology, and it was too. It it was it was too early, and the other thing is the people involved in it was a bit woolly. It was a bit of a mishmash. We once saw about the source code from India. There was you know one clear title. It was there was loads of things involved in this that made us just step back and think actually that's just. Move on and could do something else, and because we had all this, we'd got we'd got someone involved with us who was the head of the head of uh, software at BlackBerry, and the other one who was relevant with us was the head of software at Firefox, Mozilla, and they said, "Look, the IoT is coming forward, beacons are coming forward. This would be great for that," and that's how it started. And we'd already got we'd already got the phone company, which is a company called Phone Fusion in the US, and it's the one that. I'm well, call it president in the US but it's CEO. And it's 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 listed but it's only a only a small company as such at the minute. But um we'd already got the phone solution there and everything else. So it was just a case of packaging it together to provide this. So we've kind of got an head start on everybody at the minute.
0: Yeah, it's not something I've heard or seen a lot of well, I mean if it's not in the UK, I've not heard or seen anything but Google did send us, just out of the blue, uh, a beacon. And we kind of got this box, opened it up, nice packaging. It kind of said what it did. And we were all kind of looking at it going, "What? why have we got this? Um, why has Google sent it? What does it do? How do we set it up? And it was just, to be honest, I think Google missed a trick because there, was no, there wasn't enough information around it. It was kind of like, here, have this. Set it. This is how to set it up. Not really, this is why you would use it. And the team did some research and kind of told me, and I went, oh, yeah, okay, set it up. But now, I can't tell you if we have it in the building or not, which is a bad sign. Um, but other than that, not seen or heard a single thing about it. Google never mentioned it again. Um, it's kind of a weird one.
1: Yeah, there's, there's it's generally used in airports because they've got a lot of travelers there. Mm. So a lot of airports do this. There's, uh, I think, Skiphole has got a lot of beacons there. And, and and they can use it as well to, to track to monitor movement you know where people are staying in that airport that type of thing whether they're staying in a restaurant because it can it's it's quite granular so we're in a room now which you know it could say which part of the room you're going to sit in so you could buy a coffee sit in starbucks and it could say that you sat there and you sat there on you know never bought another coffee for two hours whereas it normally you just log into a wi-fi somewhere and it'll say that you've been they've got no recollection of what you've purchased or all the different things. So, you know, it's, it, it is, it goes quite granular in the information that it gives back. I think Google's maybe missed the point a little bit and that's why it's not grown so much. Well, and it's grown more in the U S but like I say, they've, they've spent so much on this and and I'm not so sure that in 10 years time, it will be beacons because I'm not sure we'll even have a phone by then. You know, there's, it, 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 the landscape of technology is changing that quick. What do you reckon it will be? I don't know. Maybe just a chip, chip in whatever. your brain. Yeah, or a chip in your arm, like what you do with a pet.
0: Yeah, but those those chips in pets don't. They're not a like they're just a transmitter on. So you think in terms of a phone, or the transmitter will be based in you in your body?
1: It could easily be. Yeah, yeah. they they've they've got now that. They're saying that um, they're not that far away of storing of storing data in DNA. Okay. So you imagine that? In, remember, tw- in, in 50 years' time, will we be used, still using only 10% of our brain?
0: Well, I remember vaguely listening to a podcast where they were talking about that storing data in DNA. And it sounds crazy, but the... Um, the amount of data they'd be able to store, because of the way DNA works, how you know how small it is, would be just ridiculous versus the silicon method we do now. So I know there's a lot of work going on between kind of uh, organic computers. I don't know about ten years. I think that's optimistic. But the chip thing, I have seen. Um, I can't remember what company did it, but they they were it was optional for staff, and they could have a Chip just placed, kind of round about here on their hand, kind of between their thumb and their finger, and uh, it was like um it was a, like an NFC chip, like near yeah. field, yeah. and so they would use it to open doors. So as their hand yeah. went near the door,
1: yeah. it would just unlock. Yeah, rather than having like which is which is yard. where we are now with beacon technology and stuff. Mm. That it actually talks back, so you don't just have a card to go through a door. You can actually have a card that will speak back to you. Yeah so it can pick out which doors you want to do you have travelled to well this is it
0: so the the thing that instantly everybody was paranoid about was that this company was then essentially um monitoring the location the whereabouts of all their employees at yeah. any given time which they like categorically said couldn't be done they weren't doing you know wasn't in the chips but it didn't stop every twitter troll on the planet saying now nah, it's just a lie they're just they are tracking where you are and i think that's where a lot of people get very paranoid about this type of technology and eye beacons and stuff like that. Because a lot of things you've said, I, I agree with. They're great for business. They've got really good potential. Do you not worry that it could, or the companies could use it in a way that's pr- probably a little bit of a step too far in terms of tracking people? No, not
1: really, because we're dealing with local authorities and stuff. And all we do is we supply the software for them to use it. And, and there won't be anything on there that they could actually be intrusive with you know it's it's it, it, it can't take any information personal information from you or anything like that I mean if you've got people in technology who's been in technology for years they'll still put a piece of paper over their their camera on the laptop you know even to this day mm. uh, you, you know you're not you're not going to change people's perception overnight and with Cambridge for us, Cambridge Analytica was a great thing, and with a big hack and everything like that. Because, really, I, I thought yeah, you yeah. uh, was a no, no. It's been brilliant for us because we've got, part of what our solution is. We've got an app that is picture-driven, that is is crystal clear. It doesn't keep anybody's information or anything like that, and they can use it like uh, this is your life. So it's 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 kind of what Facebook should have been used for, and you can monetize it. So Coca Cola can put their story on there brands can use it, you know, it's and, and it doesn't keep any information whatsoever.
0: So how does this work?
1: It's 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 got location based on it and it's quite quick. But uh, So this I'm is really an app on that. your smartphone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So i you said it was
1: picture based? Yeah, so it's, it's 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 it saves moments. So if you're an event, because we're doing events, you can actually save pictures from an event. It's got a digital souvenir there that, if you're at an Ed Sheeran concert, it could have a, a pre, a pre-edited video as such from Ed Sheeran, and it it you know you would put your piece of your, uh, video content at that concert inside it, so it actually becomes your your piece of own branding as such. Okay, and this is part of the te- yeah, it's all part of the solution. Right, okay. and and it won't be our own app it would be so if we went into northeast linkage it would be their app it would be their solution as such not ours so how long have you been involved with this business i've been involved in this now since 2014 so it's been a while and it's been 9 years to get to where it is now so it've been 9 years to be an overnight success <laughs>
0: yeah that's the that's the trouble i think um People never see. A lot of people refer it to to the um, the visual analogy is the iceberg. You know, the the tip. Yeah, yeah. That sticks out, but yeah. all the stuff below. With that iceberg, all that, that crap below that you have to do to make the top to stick out. What do you struggle with in the last? Well, since 2014, what have you struggled
1: with with this business? Um, I would not say it's it's been so much of a struggle as such we've got we've got various founders from around the globe involved in it so it's just it's just been structure and everything to get to where we are now to come up with a solution and if you're not careful in that tech industry everybody just wants to keep building things rather than launch so um we're at a case now where we're actually launching not building as such you've still got to you've still got to put r d in there and you've still got to look at the future and things, but you could be quite easily going on forever, just building and building and building and not actually launch anything. Yeah. I, you, you know, be, be, because of how people in technology are, they can be a bit insular and they can have a little bit of OCD, so they want it absolutely perfect. Perfect.
0: I was going to say, yeah, having been in that scene, the perfectionist in people, not, I think it's because it's something you can, you can choose to launch at any time and no one sees it until it launches. It's not like building a boat on the side of a dock where people see it over time. And You can just have this kind of innate ability just to keep adding, keep tweaking, keep changing until you're absolutely happy. Um, It happens even with small projects, not just big ones. Whether it's client or the developer or designer, whoever's involved, so we've had that, where a project just delays and delays because it's not quite right. There's something else I want to add. Another feature I've thought of. Phase two and three are now what
1: in phase one. So we get that a lot.
0: Yeah, and I, for
1: for me, I'm not very technology minded at all, and I'm not very technology experienced as such. I've got a great memory, and I can. I don't have to be intelligent to remember remember what intelligent people tell me. But I hope to think that to my business, I bring a little bit of common sense. So we can actually move forward in the common sense side of things and the commercial side of things can come out and then move on. Do you find in business common sense
0: is something that is lacking in a lot of people?
1: Massively, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Every, everybody goes to school to get an education as such, but that do not give you any experience at anything, does it?
0: Only other people's experience, which I isn't worth a lot. In many cases, because it's not happened to you, you know, if someone tells you a story, you can kind of learn from the basics if it's a good story and you've got a good memory. But um, I was always brought up, um, and from my past, doing is the best way of learning. So exp- self experience is great, whether it's good or bad. And there's, um, there's, there's, I can't remember who, but there's someone I was listening to recently, and they were saying. There's, there's succeeding and there's learning. There's no such thing as failure. When you fail, you learn. So just look at it on a, as a positive. And I thought, well, that's that's a really nice way of putting it. I mean, it still feels yeah, like it's, failure it's, sometimes. It's, but all, it's, all,
1: it's all your journey. What I would say to you is if if your wife rang you up now or someone from home or your father rang you up and says, look, I've got a leak at home. I need a plumber straight away. And you've got two plumbers on your phone. One of them is just straight out of college. And the other one's got no qualifications, but he's been a plumber for 20 years. That guy from college, you're not going to ring. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, the experience
0: thing's a big one, and I. Well, it's funny you say say that because there's. It's hard. It's quite difficult in our industry because a lot of the people that um, we employ are quite young. So in terms of experience, it's quite hard for them to get it. Um, So normally, what we look for is not really the qualifications. It's more what they've done, the outcomes. So they may say, look, I've only had a year experience, but these are the things I've managed to do in the year. And you can kind of tell, okay, if that person's managed to do this, this, and this, then they have they must be great at learning and doing versus someone who's saying, oh, I've got qualifications in X, Y, and Z, but yeah. never done
1: it. I would always employ someone on character more than, more than qualifications. Yeah. Because if someone's a little bit toxic, you're never going to turn them or if they haven't got a great mindset or a great attitude, you're never going to change that. But if someone's got a great attitude and they're willing to learn and they've got a great mindset, you can learn them people that will become really passionate about a business or whatever. Yeah, I, I
0: massively agree with you on that one. But how, how do you, do you have a technique or anything for, for trying to figure someone's
1: character out? I've just got, after, over all these years, you have a really good judge of character. How long did that take? Um, I think it, I think it's pretty much straight away. You know, it's it's inherent from the people around you and um, your your mother and your father. You know, it's 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 quite early doors. You know, it's and you'll know yourself. There's no better judge of character than children or dogs. So, uh, so for, well, if you know, I'd never wait with anybody who didn't get on with a dog or anything like that because a dog can sense it. You know, and kids can sense it. So a kid's can sense if it's if you're not engaging with a child or anything like that, or you're not keen on kids. Kids will sense that straight away. Did you take many children to job interviews? <laughs> no, not really. But I, I mean, I know plenty of people in London who have dogs in the office. Yeah, and, and one of them's got a technology company, which is a, which is you know it's a quite a lot of investment, and it's a social media company. It's called vavouche he has his dog there all the time and he says to me that if, if that dog growls at anyone or at like that I'm not doing business with them I'm not having anything wow. to do with them it's it's quite literally like that
0: yeah I mean we, we've we got an office dog oh god I don't I don't think he's ever growled or anything at like anyone it's a bit, bit of a softie but I've been to clients and they've had dogs and I've made just instinctively made a point you know I like dogs just made a point of fussing them and just making sure they're alright but yeah. um, I never thought of it like that Maybe, maybe some of them have dogs as a test
1: yeah I, I don't know I don't know but kids kids are a great judge of character and so if you can carry if you know if you carry that on through but I'll bring mine in one day yeah like I'll, I'll tell you
0: in fact I had a meeting with a with a client who brought the dog into the meeting room actually the dog got up on the conference room one of the the um the boardroom chairs and sat round the table with two of the Two of the people from the business we had a business meeting. That was like what well, the first time
1: I ever went to see them. Yeah, I guess you've got to be a little bit careful that if he's got his Labrador on the on the table and he's sharing food with it and all that, he may be a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. You know, a bit cranky or whatever, but you know, it's. So. Um, so I, I don't think I don't think a judgy character can be taught. Well, I was going to say, do you reckon maybe you pick some of that up from when you were working with your father? Yeah, for sure, for sure, you do. Yeah, you do. It's not. It's not a thing you can teach someone. And it's. You either get it or you don't. Like a gut feeling. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. And I think
1: we all get it. We all get gut feelings. It's like people say some people are lucky, some people aren't. I think we all get the same look. It's just whether you utilise that situation and that look or not. You know, it's Have you ever ever had a gut feeling and ignored it? Yeah, and it's 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 nearly always turned to 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 not great things or whatever, you know, it's no, your you, your first instinct or your gut feeling about you know a product or a business or whatever, it's normally the best one. Yeah, it is weird that. Where does it come from? At this like, extra sense. Well, you've got you've got to bear in mind that uh, as as a person as a human to say that you can make your mind up about someone within seven seconds. How can you do that? How can you? You can't actually sit there and think. I'm going to take seven seconds to make my mind up about someone. You do it subconsciously, and our brains far more powerful than we we give it credit for, I think.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, definitely, uh, it'd be interesting to see what the next couple hundred years hold and if technology can help release some of that extra potential. I think it was Musk that said about, um, you know, we're already androids. We're connected to these devices in our hands. It's just the, I think Jordan actually talks about it on one of hers, um, her podcasts, but it's the bandwidth. So it's the speed at which you can interact with it that's the problem.
1: Yeah, I, I sit on a thing with the Duke of York called the Pitcher Palace, which is a program which has been on the go since two thousand and fourteen or fifteen. And I went on like the second one or something, and I've been on the go with that since ever since as a as a mentor and as an elevator. We'll I call them an elevator on there, and uh, they have boot camps. So I did a boot camp at Manchester Uni last year towards the end of last year, and they had a, a VP or whatever from Facebook to do a talk, come over from America. And they turned around and said, you know, originally, when people was using first using Facebook in, say, 2006 or whenever it was, people interacted with their device a lot differently. And when they did the upgrade of the Facebook page and the UI and the UX, the user experience and everything, and there was a massive you know, kickoff between be, be, with Facebook users to saying that, you know, we don't like this and everything. It was all down to the fact that we was taking information maybe 15, 20 times quicker. Instead of us taking, I don't know, four seconds, it was like four milliseconds or something to actually, you know, produce the data on a, on a, on a Facebook page. And that's why it was all changed. To, to give the data faster yeah. to people? Yeah, yeah, so they could give it out faster. Because actually, we actually, we actually, we actually digest the information a lot, lot quicker now because we're immersed in our phones. Yeah,
0: yeah, almost um, trained, trained ourselves to. I yeah, it's weird actually when you think about it. I'm trying to think back ten years ago before I had a smartphone and how I would use a phone, and um, now it's so quick. And also, if you um, now I have a child give them a device and how quickly they learn to use it. They can't, you know, they can't count, they can't speak, they can't read, but they could use YouTube's UI or they can use Facebook or...
1: Yeah, it's, it's scary, especially now with things like TikTok and stuff. But I, I think, you know, it's tough for parents now with technology. It really, really is. I mean, as I was a kid, there was, there was none of that. So we'd end up doing stuff to occupy ourselves and there were not really that much TV and things. But, you know, whether it's for better now or for worse, I, I, I don't know. But, you know, you go back to schooling and people, you know, you would you weren't allowed to take a, a, a calculator into a into an exam as such. Well, now they can set the phone in or whatever. And, the, you know, the teacher would say, we can't bring a calculator in because in real life, you're never going to have a calculator. Well, now people have them on the watch. <laughs> yeah. You know, they've got an Apple watch or whatever, you know, it's... Yeah, just ask Siri. Yeah, just ask Siri or whatever.
0: You can ask a pretty uh, complex uh, questions, math- mathematical questions sp- specifically. So, yeah, teachers are way off the mark uh, at yeah. predicting the
1: future. Siri is quite a, a funny thing for us, really, because in our business we've got the former head of software for BlackBerry, and uh, a few years ago when BlackBerry was it, it was it was the market leader in smartphones. It was the inventor of smartphones. She went up to head office to, to speak to Michael, who owned BlackBerry at the time, and said, you know, I've got a guy in my office. We need to buy his company. And he said, um, what's the company called? And she said, it's called Siri. He only wants like $20 million for it or something. He went, that'll never work. Tell him <laughs> to go away. Apple purchased him and look where Apple are now because they got more involved in the user experience of a phone rather than hardware. And
0: Yeah, BlackBerry made a couple... Fatal errors. Really, they sold to Microsoft, didn't they?
1: No, no, no. They're, they're still Blackberry's still going. Um, they, they don't do devices so much now. Uh, even though I've got a device, and I was, I was on their ambassador list for quite a while. Uh, they, they, they got a new chief exec called John Chen, who's ex SAP and Sybase, and they have they're really secure Blackberry. They're most probably the most secure uh, delivery system out there still even to this day uh you know years ago the the FSB broke into the white house and actually hacked everything that obama had except for his blackberry you know we really? did it we did it to angela merkel and she ended up you know she ended up getting a blackberry you know blackberry's biggest customers really for their best server and everything was the security services around the globe i did not so, know that I, and then when our co-founder used to go to russia the FSB used to make them put a black box on the BlackBerry best server, one on the pipe going in and one on the pipe going out, because it was the only way they could read any of the information. Wow. Yeah.
0: I, what, that I'll make, make him, You're kind of selling a BlackBerry tree now, although I don't think anyone would be bothered about my messages.
1: Yeah, well, WhatsApp, you know, I'm not sure if it's even been resolved yet. It had a court case for BlackBerry for years because it was based on the BBM platform. Oh, BlackBerry Messenger. Yeah, they all was. All chatbots, everything. It was all done on BBM. But BlackBerry, it was that paranoid about the keyboard that they put all their services, you know, they used to have a... A private detective agency just constantly got out there looking for people doing a keyboard because they've got the the patent on it. A keyboard on a on a phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because I I always
0: kind of thought having the physical keyboard was a bit naff, a bit old school. Like the virtual keyboard makes so much more sense from a you know real estate on the screen on the
1: device. Yeah, f- f- from a UI or UX perspective i can understand that but i mean i've still got blackberry with a what they call a blackberry passport which has got the buttons on and all that. and i quite like it because you make less mistakes but it, the ecosystem's changed that much now we shouldn't really make a mistake because the spell checker and everything on a on a device is absolutely fantastic i mean i'm not that great at spelling you know if i could go back in time and i went back to school i'd learn to spell a little better a little bit better and I'd, I'd like to learn to talk a little bit better if anything them two things out of my schooling not my education or anything like that but just those two things and now because it's everything's email and everything's done electronic it doesn't matter the fact that I, I write like a doctor yeah. <laughs> yeah and
0: the other thing as well I mean if you um, you know if you're trying to craft an email spell check you know that's great but in terms of uh, grammatical errors so things like Grammarly, which yeah. is like a, a Chrome extension you can get, or, or a, uh, a bit of software you can get on your computer, and it'll it'll basically help you craft your message so it's grama- much more grammatically correct. Not just like a little bit like you should have a comma here, but kind of it will read your sentences and say, well, you need to, to kind of tweak this, and it'll just you no know, auto suggest like spell check. Yeah, um, so you can kind of have a really poor English um, qualification level, just be like, yeah, I've got a. A D in English, but I've got all these apps installed. So any employer can be like, well, that's fine then. We, you, you
1: yeah, yeah. Written yeah. communication it, it, should it, be okay. it, It's more of a level playing field, I guess. Yeah,
0: it really, really does. Um, I suppose if you went back in time, and I don't know, 50 years, and people were doing, you know, really getting qualifications, because it was the only way to learn and, and go and get jobs. And you said, oh yeah, no, I've got this, basically all this software, that will just do all this for me. They'd be like, it's like, superhero powers back then it would have just been crazy but now we just take it for granted most of these things are free i mean grammarly i don't use the paid version it's just completely free and it, it does me here and there it just tells me oh you've missed a thing here we'll put that in there it is crazy
1: how fast and how good technology is getting yeah um, especially open source things which yeah is like grammarly you know it's like five all these different things that are open source how much they come on is really really good and I think that is a good thing for for society as such, because I mean, years ago, nobody was ever diagnosed being dyslexic or anything like that. You know, even Richard Branson, you know, loads of people, you know, there was trek more like an idiot, really, I would think, as, as young people, when actually it was an actual problem that they had.
0: Yeah, software's great. great. Um, there's a really, really good app. Uh, you just kind of reminded me there so people with sight problems um, have smartphones stupid of me to think that they wouldn't but you kind of think okay if someone's got a sight problem they're not going to bother with a smartphone but that doesn't stop them but what happens is um, so obviously a lot of the smartphones now have got built in um, uh, software to help people with different disabilities but there's a lot of things out there that just you can't solve with a software problem like um, on the back of say, uh, some kind of food or beverage, you know, really small writing with the ingredients. Well, you can't stick braille on like a, you know, a plastic bottle or something that's really thin or a cardboard box, it's not gonna quite work and all the ingredients, is quite a lot. So someone came up with this app um, called Be My Eyes and essentially a, a blind person or, or someone who's sight impaired who can't read that can basically p- go on the app, ping, and say like I need some help, and it will basically anyone who's on the volunteer list, which I am, it will just ping them out and say someone um, is is asking for help. Like click here to help them, and it, they've got so many volunteers that if you if you're not answering that person's call within about a second and a half, someone else would have got it. You have to be really quick. Um, and what will happen is you'll answer it and it'll, someone will be like using the camera and say, oh, I'm I'm just trying to read the ingredients on this box. Can, I can't see it. Can you just tell me? And they will use the phone, put it in front of the thing. And you just say, oh, yeah, it's got, you know, this and this in. Or they might say, what's the telephone number I'm looking at, whatever. And you just help them out kind of a, a call, like a video call. And they go, oh, cheers for that. Thank you. Bye. And you just put the phone up. It's just done. And it's probably I've done it two or three times, five, six seconds most. So not really much inconvenience for you. Really helpful for them. And once I'd, I saw a video of it online and once I saw it, I was like, that is really, really simple software solving a problem for people that, that need that. Yeah. It's fantastic. It,
1: for me, that's what technology should be. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a simple thing that solves a problem, but it should be good. Yeah. It should, it, it should be for, for the better of society, really. You know, and, and most sustainable businesses help society. You know, they'll, they'll you know it's, it's a way forward that people will interact with it and it, it it will be of some sort of help you know every business needs to solve a problem but actually it will it will help the human race or whatever for it to be super super you know um, successful so what what success for you then I think it's based on your happiness how happy you are you know you can't really have a have a I have a metric f- for success as such. Uh, even even this now with the smart city stuff and all the other businesses that I'm involved in. You know, I've not just got Fusion Group as such. I've got Pinnacle, which is a business accelerator in the UK. And I'm involved with quite a few businesses with that. And it's, it's the people involved in them businesses and it's the success for them. And it's how it can help people. You know, it's employing people. It's all these different things. And I hate to say it, it's part of growing up. You know, and it's as a boy you or a young man you don't really think of anything like that, but what you get back from it is is absolutely fantastic. You know, it's like giving back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you, you can't be likable unless you like people. You can't you can't be you can't be interesting unless you're interested in people. You know, and you can't I don't think you can be really happy unless you're happy for everybody else.
0: Oh, I like that.
1: That's nice. So, And it's just a simple thing, isn't it? You know, it's... You know, it's... it's it, it, sometimes it just takes two minutes out of your day. It's, you know, like stuff that I do with a picture of the palace and that. You know, you, you get people what are really, really precious about their time or what they can do or what they can do to help someone or whatever. And in truth, it's it's no big deal, is it? You know, it's...
0: Not a lot of the time. I mean, oh, time i've seen so many posts recently going on about everyone's got the same amount of time in the day almost um kind of devaluing people who are really successful by saying well yeah but they've only got the same amount of time time as you so you can do the same thing but they're right time is a equal opportunity in terms of what everyone's got but the giving back things um important i've i've, I've been looking for a while for something to get that I'm interested in because that like you said there if you've got you've got to be interested in it Um, and I think that's hard for a lot of business owners to find something they're interested in to give up their time for
1: yeah other Um, than business Mark Webber who's who's been on the podcast um, we're looking now at doing an incubator in North East Lincolnshire yeah and getting a few stakeholders involved in it and it would look after 12 entrepreneurs in, in and around this area. And to be fair, a lot of them entrepreneurs might not come from here, but we would bring them to this area so that they would be based here. And it so it would increase the growth in this area as such. But you get so many now that, you know, where we're sat, we're sat in the Enterprise Village and the support you get here is fantastic. But you go to other towns or other cities and they'll just supply you space in a in a, in a building. You know, it, D4CI is 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 really good but there's places like d4ci where they just they just want to rent you somewhere and just let you crack on and do whatever where this would be a proper incubator to to help entrepreneurs and help them go and we wouldn't pick out the most academic we would pick out the most entrepreneurial and it doesn't really matter what industry either so it could be based around the renewable sector or they could invent a new filleting knife it could be anything that's hopefully related to this area that solves a problem but sooner or later, they're gonna, they're gonna, um, they're gonna do something with that. Is that something you're
0: passionate in, then helping
1: other businesses? Yeah, because I like to see businesses grow. You know, and it's 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 a the, the growth side of it is is what I'm passionate about, really. You know, you you get a lot of businesses that start up, and in in this in the startup game as such, actually going and building a business, getting the investment building a website, doing this, doing that, and actually getting to market. That's the hard work. But what interests me is the smart work after that. So, you know, it's a lot of people will come to you as a marketing company and say, can you build me a website? And I think once they've done the website, that's it done. Well, actually, that's the start of your journey. That's just your shop window. You know, and people don't realise that. It's, or you'd be surprised at people that don't realise that. Yeah,
0: no, we we definitely see that <laughs> yeah the build it and they will come mentality hasn't left everybody
1: yeah you, you know you, you I get especially I think marketing is one of the most crucial crucial things for any business and and more and more people now market themselves as a brand yep which I think is a great thing and you know, I've done it myself that you know you go back two or three years nobody really knew what I did for a living you know, yeah I was based in Mayfair you know, I was going to the palace. I was involved with the Duke of York, doing all these great different things. But nobody really knew, you know. And I stay away from Facebook where I can, and all that type of thing. You know, I have an Instagram account now, and a Twitter account, and a LinkedIn account. But so you've you've flipped that that um, yeah yeah mentality yeah yeah. So uh, which we've mentioned in in before the podcast, I think pivoting is one of the biggest things for an entrepreneur to solve problems because if they don't they end up they end up seeing a problem as as something that stops them not something to overcome so when you say pivoting
0: do you mean so explain how obviously well i mean your journey we've kind of there's been quite a few big pivots where we've gone from completely one industry to another but where do you see entrepreneurs or business owners fail to pivot and why would they fail
1: well uh, most most business owners or entrepreneurs will come to me with a business plan and in that business plan say if it's through angel groups because i have a big involvement with the angel groups on this m62 corridor and generally in, a, in an angel group somebody will come for 150 grams worth of investment because it comes under seis a seed entrepreneurs investment scheme so anybody investing in can claim 50% back, a minimum of 50% back and stuff. And in it, they'll say, we want 50 grand to go launch the business, 50 grand for wages and 50 grand for marketing. But they've got no marketing plan. What they've got is a business plan. Well, a business plan is just a wish list without a strategy and a roadmap and a marketing plan. And, And marketing's crucial, really. So it's knowing your customer and what you've got as a business. So you could be a jewellery chain that, you know, we've. I'm involved in a watch company, which originally set up for gents' watches, it's called Tice Timepieces, and they came through angel groups, and I ended up getting involved with them, and now I'm a shareholder in it, but uh, they pivoted from gents' watches to women's watches, because it's the FMCG market, and they thought to themselves, you know, they're going to do this gents' watch, it's going to be great, but they didn't get the traction that they, they expected. Yet, they've gone and done a cheaper option, which is a ladies watch called Harper Rose, which has got now over 100,000 followers on social media. You know, it's, we've just, uh, through me and a couple of in, others involved in the business, we've got on Uni Days, which is a platform for university students. It's got 5 million university students. It, you know, it's so tough to get on that Um you know and it's 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 launched us and we've gone through the roof and now we've started doing B2B deals where it's, we're actually making watches for other businesses because what they didn't realize is that their expertise isn't in the watch game it's actually it's actually sourcing the watches to be made in china and everything and actually going out and building this watch from china where nobody else could do that for, under, under the under the under the Uh, remit that they've got so it's 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 actually a german guy that owns the factory in china where we have the watches made it's in an airtight factory it's totally sustainable the people get a proper wage it's not a sweatshop and we've got a factory in germany as well which we can use so it's totally sustainable and and you know it's got got ethics yeah where a lot you know most probably a lot of others wouldn't or you know they'd, they'd not be able to do that so I can say, is that one of the watches on your wrist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks nice. Yeah, they're quite nice. It's, um, we've got them in at Laceby Golf Club. Okay. So if anybody gets an hole in one, they can win a watch. Nice. How many so,
0: holes holes in one have they had so far?
1: I think we've only give one or two watches away at the minute. It's so, not too bad. But it's my second. It's my second innings as such with a watch company. I mean, previously I was involved with a watch company from Lincoln, and I was a brand ambassador for them. And they've got such a great story. They've been on the go three hundred years, as, as involved in clocks originally, um, and it was called Pinchbecks. And it's still on the go now. And the lovely people involved, and you know, I, hope they, I wish them every success. But I didn't really grasp what they had and the story that they had. I didn't really utilise that the heritage and yeah, yeah. History. I mean, they've got a clock in Buckingham Palace still. They've got, there's a Christopher Pinchbeck clock
0: in, in Buckingham, Buckingham Palace. Palace.
1: And they never, ever pushed that out. And what? I, and I, I got that's
0: my, uh That's, well, I uh, mean, how, what would you, t- to try and pay for that sort of PR Well,
1: prestige would be? I said to them, you know, to move forward, we need to be, we need brand ambassadors. And the ideal brand ambassador would be a member of the royal family, yeah. which I sorted, and we did. Never, ever pushed it. Never, oh. ever moved forward and... So and it it not really won't really for me. We was, you know, and you get this in life. I'm here sucking in oxygen, and they're on Mars sucking in something else. It's never going to be compliant. So you know, it's 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 the nature of the thing. You know, and the, the lovely people and the, what the the product they've got is fantastic. You know, it's I still wear that watch now and again. I mean, I've got a couple of them watches still wearing now and again, and everything. But the two young lads who were involved in Tice timepieces and Harper Rose. They come to me, and they are from Manchester. They're fantastic. They're really, really entrepreneurial. They get it. They know their customer, they're, and they're, they're willing to learn. And I think that's one of the biggest things in life, and it's what makes you, you know, you soon. If you if you stop learning, you soon grow old. You know, you'll soon you've finished. Especially as a business, you know, you need to learn and to progress and move forward all the time, else you go backwards. And my father taught me that.
0: So how? Um how are you constantly learning? How do you do it? We learn off everybody we meet.
1: You know, we've just had a conversation today and I've been learning stuff. You know, the the See Me app and stuff like that. You know, you, you constantly learn, don't you? It's, yeah. But you've got to be receptive to it. You've got to listen out for it.
0: Well, that's it. I think <laughs> you just nailed it. That's what I was thinking. There's a lot of people, um, I think they're not. They're kind of, nope, I know everything I need to know about whatever it is in my life. Um, and they just kind of disengage from you if it's something they don't know about rather than being intrigued. So I could listen to pretty much anybody about anything if I'm not, you know, I don't know about it and just just listen. Um, yeah. I think there are too many people who just, yeah, that's not for me.
1: Generally, coming from a small town, that's generally the naysayers who, have, who are a little bit negative about the area that we live in and that type of thing. And and I can I. I don't think it's a fault with them. It's just how we are as as, as as an area as such or how we have been in the past. You know, my grandmother, the furthest she ever went in her lifetime was Mablethorpe once. And that's it. Wow. You know, so... That's like what, tw- 20, 30 miles away? Yeah. And she never ever went on a plane. She never went anywhere else. She never went to London. She never saw anything of the world. Wow. I wouldn't say that she was miserable. You know, she was happy enough you know it's, it's 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 strange you know and it's i've got a friend who's got a you know it's it's hard coming from this from an area like this because it's been such a tough town in days gone by but again we've pivoted you know we've we've, we've had that change and it's mainly due to Rob Walsh and everybody in his team and everybody down from that but to come from a fishing industry now to be a world leader in renewables, you know, it's fantastic for the area. We've just yeah. got to make good on it.
0: Yeah, well they're doing a lot of really good stuff, really exciting things. And apparently there's more in the pipeline.
1: So Yeah, we've got it's this a, town deal now and yeah. you know there's a reason why Theresa May wanted to do her speech, her keynote speech here and all these different things. So, you know, it's it for me it's it's a it's a fantastic area where we are. In this, and it's not just the fact that it's my hometown; it's more the fact that it's actually a nice area to be. Yeah, you
0: know. yeah, I agree, and it's getting better all the time, which is fantastic for for any businesses that are already here, kind of the first in. Um, with you pivoting a lot, one of the things that sh- um, kind of comes to mind is is the when you pivot, a lot of the times you're pivoting into the unknown. You know, the grass is greener kind of quote comes to mind.
1: Is there a, do you struggle with it or is it kind of, are you fearless? You just kind no, of do it. And... No, it's it's not a case of being fearless at all. So as a boy, I used to be a professional sportsman as such, albeit it's pool, which <laughs> you can't really say is a <laughs> little little big of sport or anything like that. But it was based around uh, a gambling mentality, really. So uh, my dad grew up on a fish docks grimsby fish Docks before we got into transport and stuff and he always used to say to me don't let your money control your betting so don't be a gambler you know make sure you're on a winner on a fixed thing so i don't really take too much of a gamble i'm not i'm not a gambling type of person you know I, I, you never catch me in a bookmakers or anything like that so everything is a calculated risk for me i wouldn't get i wouldn't have ever got into, involved in technology unless i had world industry. Leaders, you know, I've got a friend who was chief exec at Dell. He did the deals for it to buy EMC for sixty-eight billion, and you know all these different people in the industry and then the stuff that I've met through the people at the Picture of the Palace and everything. So actually, it's more of a calculated risk. It's not a, it's not a pivot into the unknown. And think to myself, actually, I can't do that or whatever. You know, and as long as you can learn and you've got a passion for learning, you'll do okay.
0: Yeah. I've, that passion for learning's a, a big thing. Um, we we try and do stuff here for the for the team, but I, when I have the time, I love to read. Usually a book that I can learn from. I can't. I I don't seem to be able to read fiction or stories. They just kind of I just get very distracted. But if it's learning and I, it's a really good book and teaching me something I've not uh, learned before, then I, I'll I'll just uh, go from start to finish in no time at all.
1: Is there any books that you would really recommend? Yeah, there's one by Ray Dalio, um, which is quite a famous, famous book. Um, I can't I, I did have the name written down. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I am just looking at my notes. Life and Work of Ray yeah, Dalio. Yeah, it's so. brilliant.
1: It's really, really good. Who was he? So Ray is the head of, I can't remember if it's Greenbridge or something like that. It's one of the major hedge funds. Um, and he's been involved with a lot of a lot of the companies coming out of Silicon Valley and Palo Alto and, and all that. But he's, he's got a great outlook on life and he's got a great outlook on business. And a lot of the industry leaders base based themselves on that book. The likes of Kevin Seistram, who did Instagram. It's his favorite book. It's the one he gives out. Oh, um, really? Yeah. I'm
0: going to have to get a copy. That yeah. sounds good. And another one you listed here was um, Eric Ryle's Principles.
1: Yeah. Um, that that's more for startups as such. But again, it's it's a really good read. It's a it's a great book for anybody who's who's setting out in life who who's who's looking to be an entrepreneur. Who's looking for you know, um, to get involved in business to actually strike off on their own as such, and to, and to get involved into enterprise, because. You know, I, I mentor a lot, a lot of people through Picture of the Palace and stuff like that, and I'll say to them, "Go and read these books and stuff." But a lot of the time, you're actually teaching people stuff they already know. You know, and um, and I think if you've got if you've actually got to sit down with someone and actually teach them it, then they're never gonna they're never gonna grasp it. You know, it's 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 one of them things where for for, for an entrepreneur, you'll actually teach yourself. You know, so if me and you opened a car wash, we'd teach ourselves or teach our girlfriend bookkeeping or do whatever to, to to progress you. And and you've got YouTube now, which is the second biggest search engine on the planet. There is nothing that you can, you know, if you crack your iPhone and you want to change that screen, you'll YouTube it, you
0: know. Yeah, it's, um, it's basically a how-to or, or just a big FAQ thing now. You can, yeah, find pretty much any tutorial video i mean some of them aren't very good but if you find a good one spend some time yeah yeah, you can um what did i find the other day i think my coffee machine broke and i googled you know specific model and blah blah blah, and there was like 20 30 videos and people changing pumps and all sorts of stuff luckily i didn't have to do any of that because it was something else but i was like "Mm, i could probably try and do this or just follow the step-by-step guide that someone else with a coffee machine a bit of common sense is fixed
1: yeah, and, and and I tend to I, I don't really read books anymore. It's more podcasts for me. Oh yeah, but that's it. Um, it's good you're saying that now. Um, and <laughs> obviously, one. where we're sat and what we're doing right this very second. But for me, you can have it on in a car. It can give you headspace. You can listen to it a couple of times. You know, you, you'll only if you read a book, you'll only text so much from that book. And so you know, there's there's a there's a famous podcast with Tim Ferriss and Kevin Systrom again from Instagram and one of Kevin Systrom's tips is that you read the back of the book because the last few pages of what's the message that it's trying to get across. And then after that, then read the book. So, yeah. and, and that's, I, I, I never knew. I, that's what I've always done despite it, hearing that. So before I even heard that, that's what always I used to do.
0: There's, there are some weird tactics for um, reading books to try and get better knowledge out of them. And there was a guy, a, uh, you've got a much better memory than me, I can never remember who says these things, I think it may have been a speaker, and he was saying he reads books in a very weird order, and he'll kind of go to the contents, and look at the topics for each of the chapters, and say, well I kind of want to know about that one now, and he'll read that, and then he might be looking at a different book, and read a different chapter from that, so he'd read books in a completely kind of non-methodical order, not from start to finish, or front to back it would just be kind of it pick out bits and read them and highlight them and then that would be it he'd move on to another book so he'd kind of have 20 books on the go and he'd use them more of like a encyclopedia than a okay I'm reading this book now and then that book next
1: yeah I get that but I don't think you could do it with a fictional book not with fiction it would make you know it's like watching a movie it's you kind of ruin the, the plot doesn't it? It's... yeah
0: well there's some books yeah if they've got a story arc you kind of need to follow it otherwise you ruin it but I think for a lot of these um self-help books um you can't you can read them in any pretty much any order
1: yeah yeah but i'm i'm not one of these that so you get a lot you get a lot of coaches and you get a lot of mentors and i know there's a difference between a coach and a mentor
0: what would you say the
1: difference is Uh, that's the face i pull when people ask me that so if you if you're in business a mentor will give you business advice Okay. Where a coach will tell you how to think, what to do, what systems and processes are will to have and all that type of thing. Well, for me, um, I'd always go along the road of a mentor. And so, because for the simple reason that I don't need to be inspired. You shouldn't have to be inspired. You know, if, if, if you're working in a factory and you're going to launch a burger bar and you're saving up for that burger bar and you're too tired to do anything on a night time, it's not that you're tired you're uninspired because you will find that adrenaline and you will find a way to make that work you know there's a there's a, there's a you know one of the you know i speak with mark webb a lot about different entrepreneurs in this town and stuff one one of me one of the role models will be um emma the girl who's gone and done the, the bus cafe in Cleethorpes. she's gone and saved up whatever it was like five grand or whatever gone and bought a bus and gone and done that herself no one was ever going to stop stop it and if I get involved in businesses now I'll only get involved in a business that would work without my help so that's the first thing that I think of I think to myself in three years time or five years time where you're going to be are you still going to launch that business is it still going to be going without my help and if it is then oh I think that it is then I'll get involved with it because you can't be there to control the business and everything else it's but I think mentorship is is a great thing, and even coaching. Really, it's it's not that far apart. But you know, it's mentors have normally done it, where coaches normally come from background of coaching. Yeah, so I'm sure. That how many businesses are you involved with right now? Oh, I would say. Well, in our in our technology portfolio, there's around, there's eight business there's eight technology companies in that. So in that portfolio of, of of technology as such in the us there's eight different p l's in there and then i'm involved in about four or five different businesses through pinnacle which the pinnacle ones aren't really paying off or anything like that it's just more of a case of like a non-exec type role and yeah. growth and because you can't get involved in a, in, a, in an early stage business and go in there to get paid and everything else like that when the money's got to be used to, for the growth of the business as such well, I was just just thinking about what you said a second ago about um,
0: thinking—you know—five years are they still going to be using your time? Are you going to need to help? Well, if you're running or involved with like that many companies, it's it's impossible to yeah. You can't. You can't. You all, can't, all you the can't be there
1: every day, and you can't. You, you know, you've actually got. You they've got to do that business itself, and all you know, for, for a CEO of a business, you are the biggest salesperson in that business. You've got to have a fantastic black book and you've got to make sure that it's got money and strategy to move forward. And that's it, really. You don't have to have general expertise in that business or anything like that. You know, um, I'm not sure if Richard Branson can fly a jumbo jet. He maybe can now, you know, he's got involved in it. But, you know, ultimately it's, you know, it's not, you don't have to have that much of an involvement in the business. You just need to employ the right people And and you need to employ up as well a lot of people don't do that so it's cre- it's creating a business it's creating a culture in a business what i look for in an entrepreneur or in, a, in, a, in an early stage business or a new business as such isn't just how good they are at going and launching a business you've got to look at how they are how they can employ staff how they can interact with other staff because you know if they're off the scale and they've gone and invented all this code to could do this great thing and they can't engage staff or anything like that. Well, it's never going to go anywhere. You need people in a business, don't you? And you need people skills.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you, were uh, well, so we, ours, mine was a bit of a baptism of fire, employ people and learn as I went. W- were you similar? If you came,
1: how many people did your dad
0: employ that you were around?
1: Uh, we had 300 truck drivers, Wow, in Africa okay. but when he was here in the UK it was it was the size of Eddie Stobart's it was huge it was the largest transport it was the largest truck company in the UK at this one point I believe yeah so. so being around a lot of staff
0: was kind of normal for you
1: yeah 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 and I've even even you know in every business that I've been involved with at the stage of my life I've never ever employed anybody I've had people that work with me okay so there's a difference yep you know, so you know it's how could you know if you've got a pub and you're employing a barmaid at the time. I think the minimum wage was like four pound sixty an hour or something. So if you know if you're even giving them six pound an hour and they're taking in a few thousand pounds in that till every couple of hours or something, you know it's the rate of returns ridiculous, really, isn't it? So you can't expect anybody to do that, what you wouldn't do yourself. So how? How do you
0: inspire people that you work with if they're struggling?
1: You tell them how good they are because okay. people don't realise that. People so, don't realise their worth and they don't realise actually how good they are and what their strengths are. I mean, I've impl- I've I've interviewed a lot of people over the years, and generally people don't re- come into an interview and don't realise how good they are. So they'll come in for a, you know, they want to be a business development manager or something like that. Or, or they want to be in finance. Yeah, actually, they'd make a brilliant business development manager or something else. Not actually what they came into the interview for. So... You, I don't know if that makes sense. No, or, it
0: does, yeah. Seeing potential in people for other things. We... we I mean, we're a much smaller team. Um, But we, we've been going through something recently where we're trying to look at... find the potential in people. And I... I kind of had a couple of people. I was like, oh, in my mind, that person might be good for that role, but we. But I said, you know what we'll do? We'll, we'll put it out to everyone and just say, right, this is what we're thinking of doing. Anyone that wants to apply can. And I actually, had some people apply for for certain roles. I was quite surprised and can see potential down the road where they, you know, they might be good in an area where I didn't think they would even have any interest. So that that looking for potential is a good one. What about if you're struggling for passion? How do you get yourself back
1: into, I get the mojo I just recharge myself. It's, it's always been my father who's it's been my inspiration there or whatever, and I've got a couple of really good people around me, but yeah, it's, it's I'll I'll sort myself out. I'll find a way. I'll find a way. It's like everything in life. You find a way, don't you? And that's part of being an entrepreneur. Yep. You find a way, you know.
0: Well, I think that's probably a good place to leave it. Nice final note to leave on. Yeah. if you're an entrepreneur you'll find a way anything else um, anywhere people can find out more about you anything you want to leave people with
1: um, not really I'm on LinkedIn I'm on Instagram and stuff but uh, you know if, if any businesses want to get involved or if I can help anybody local or whatever it's my group of contacts and things um, I'm always pushing Pitch of the Palace for business startups and stuff if they want to route to that um, just contact me on, on, on my LinkedIn or whatever Pinnacle's got a website Fusion has they all have pretty much but you know just watch this space with everything moving forward fantastic it's been a pleasure Andy thanks for being on and you thanks for inviting us along Liam it's been fantastic for my first podcast it was a little bit nice daunting at first you know it's, <laughs> and but to be fair you've made it quite easy and and listening to the other podcasts as well has been brilliant so I just hope this one's been as interesting as the others but yeah
0: well I've enjoyed it I'm sure everyone else will yeah
1: me too. Thanks, Andy. Thank you.